The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City. I invite you to stand for the reading of the Word of God from 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kevin. So, fam, good to see you all. Welcome to those of you making it back from the holidays for the first time. It's good to have you back. We are glad that you are with us. Again, welcome to the Burbank location of Story City Church. What happened to this little section this morning? Thanks for holding it down, you guys. I love it. You guys got it. You're representing over there. That's fantastic. Uh, I promise it has nothing to do with them that the first two rows aren't filled. It's the same reason the splash zone here is never filled. Uh, I got to start offering like some sort of Oprah Winfrey something. Like if you sit in a row, you reach underneath, there's like a free car for you or something. I don't know. We'll figure, we'll figure something out. But some of you who are brave enough to, to take the front row, we would love if you would be, uh, be willing to do that over the next few weeks. That would be awesome. Just uh, break, that, break that chain there. <coughs> Excuse me. Story City exists to lead communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and others. That, that word health, you guys have heard us say it a million times if you've been here for any length of time. Health is so important to us. We're not interested in just building relationships or building a name for ourselves or being around. What we are desperately interested in is having healthy relationship with Jesus and others. That is really important to us. That means it's going to be messy. But we are excited about that. Not that we like messy things, but because it's real, right? And so let's not pretend. Let's walk in the messiness of it as we journey with Jesus together. Now, some of you know this, but one of the ways that we're working to lead communities into health is by focusing on foster care and adoption. Now, why why do we do this? Um, There are more than 400,000 kids in the foster care system in the United States. Did you know that more than 35,000 of them are in Los Angeles alone? To give you maybe a a way perspective, if you take Ventura and Santa Barbara counties and you put them together, they have 1,100. We have 35,000. That means Los Angeles has the greatest numeric and per capita amount of kids in the system. It's been reported that most kids who age out of the system, that means they get to 18 and they can no longer be in those same services, end up dead or in jail within the first couple years. It is horrible. Now, we care about this more than just because that's a tragic situation. We care about it because Scripture tells us to care about it. It tells us to to care for and seek justice for those who cannot seek it for themselves. Secondly, if we want to see true change in the community, things like fatherlessness, abuse, drug abuse, recidivism, educational disparity, especially in poor communities, housing insecurity, food insecurity, sex trafficking, we want to address those things, it's actually more helpful to address those things upstream. 
And we know that many of the reasons that people are in those circumstances are directly tied to the foster care and adoption system. If we can build healthy families, if we can get those bio families to learn how to keep their children, if we can have things that help people have stability in their homes, there's better education that comes through that. There's all kinds of things that result in better communities. And so that is an important imperative of why we do this. And lastly, Story City cares deeply about life from the womb to the tomb. We can't just say we're about birth. We have to be about quality of life for people. And so we want to see all people have the opportunity to live healthy lives, lives that are healthy physically, emotionally, spiritually, and economically. And so why am I bringing this up? I'm bringing it up because this is a part of our mission as a church, as a group of people together saying we are on God's mission for his community. These are some of the ways that we are looking to use our talents, gifts, abilities, passions to serve God's kingdom. And so we are going to be doing that specifically in the ways of foster care and adoption. But we're doing it a little bit different this time. On the 22nd of this month, a group of us will be heading to Grecia, Costa Rica. And while we're there, we're going to be shooting a 60-minute documentary about an organization called Residents of Life. Residents of Life is a foster care and adoption program that takes in the most difficult of kids, kids who have been trafficked, which leads to a ton of trauma, kids who have come from severe abuse and neglect, or children who have physical and emotional uh, disabilities. Um, And so they are unlikely to get picked up from the system and placed into homes. In addition to providing them safety, education, therapy, and healing, they're sharing the hope of a true and better father with them. And this is one of the reasons that we've chosen to support residents of life. The uh, sizzle reel from the documentary will actually allow them to raise funds. And so they do not have a way of fundraising other than Erica, the director, traveling to the United States right now. And so we're excited to be able to provide them the opportunity to reach more churches in the United States and abroad to raise funds. Additionally, We're going there to provide respite for the house moms, teachers, therapists, and other staff who rarely, if ever, get any sort of break. And so I'm bringing this to you to ask for your help. I was able to secure some funding for this project. Uh, We we secured funding last year for this. Um, But as things happen, flights are more expensive. All kinds of things have uh, have run to the top of what we were able to do. And so um, we would love if you'd be willing to help. We also want to be able to send the staff out for a spa day while we're there. And so if you are willing to donate above and beyond your tithes, we would really appreciate your help with this project. I would be personally grateful if you'd be willing to do that. Any gift can be given through the Church Center app or through the website. Additionally, uh, the Director of Residence of Life has let us know that typically the government gives them money uh, to buy school supplies. And unfortunately this year they were not able to do that. They gave them a small amount they were able to use for clothes, but they do not have school supplies. And so we have provided a QR code that leads to an Amazon shopping list that's going to provide school supplies they've specifically asked for. You can find that either during the scrolling sides, you can see it during announcement, or you can find it at the next step table on the way out. And then lastly, they were talking about uh, uh, seeing if there's any way that we could provide them some PlayStations. They just said it works really well as a motivator when they've done what they're supposed to do. It really is helpful for them to have some reward time. And so they were looking for any ability. If we could do that, that would be great. They have three houses, so they're looking for three PlayStations. Again, um, thanks for letting me take some time to do that this morning. Uh, It's important, but it really matches what we are trying to be as a church. And so I appreciate that. Good? All right. Thank you all. Uh, Let's get to the Minute to Mingle question for the day. I love this question. How long would you survive in the wilderness alone? The best answer I got this morning so far was at least six minutes. (laughs) Thank you, Peter, for that. 
What did you guys have? How long would you survive? An hour. Okay, that's fair. I believe in you, though. I think you could go at least two. What, what do we got? How long do you think you would survive? I mean, living off the land. What do you got? What was that? You would just survive until you no longer survived. Or like she said, until you were found. I like that. Okay. <laughs> what else? Anybody else got any idea? Yeah. About a week. Okay. I like this. Aren't you guys glad we don't have to hunt for our food anymore? I mean, I don't even know where tacos live. I don't know. Okay. Uh, some of you were really delayed on that joke. That's okay. <laughs> My family and I have been binging the series alone. If you haven't seen it, it's, uh, they dropped 10 survivalists off in an unhospitable environment. We're talking unhospitable. I got to go, when I was in the military, I got to uh, attend these uh, winter survival course and the summer survival course, which is literally only three weeks, and you have to live off the land, and if you don't eat, you don't eat. Uh, you don't find water, you don't find water. So you have to live, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a short time. These, are told, these people are told to expect to be there up to a year, if they can. But they're completely alone, and that's the difference. Uh, they're living off the land in the, in the first couple seasons. They're avoiding bears, wolves, mountain lions, other obstacles in order to be the last person that quits. And the last person standing wins $500,000. So far, the number one reason people quit is not the unhospitable environment, but it's being alone. Because we're not creatures meant to be alone. But here's what I love about the show. It's such a different style of show because the ultimate way to win is to give up everything. To actually get the money, you have to give up food, security, comfort. You have to give up health. <laughs> Some of them, it's an incredible dietary plan. I was like, oh, so all I got to do is not eat for like a month. And then uh, it's fantastic, right? Call that an eating disorder. That's not healthy, right? So these people are subjecting themselves to losing comfort, losing relationships, losing so much more. And so the path to success is diametrically different than the path to success in the real world. And that's much of what Paul is trying to communicate with us today. For those taking notes, this is the big idea for the day. Healthy success, healthy success is redefined in Jesus. Healthy success is redefined in Jesus. And last week I pointed out that this church in Corinth that Paul is specifically writing to was a culture-making cosmopolitan hub, and it's filled with all kinds of different people, a lot of up-and-coming people, people who are on the rise to being important. The city itself is, is uh, influencing. It's, it's a, a bunch of influencers. Author Anthony Thistleton, as I, wrote la as I read last week, writes, Corinth deeply valued competitiveness, self-achievement, self-promotion, self-sufficiency, Wisdom, knowledge, autonomy, and freedom as the ethos of their city. N.T. Wright takes this farther and he helps explain. He says that the people, the church in Corinth, were still mentally living within the pagan world. So they've come out of this into Christianity, but they've brought their pagan thinking with them. So they're still mentally living within the pagan world by whose standards they had attained a degree of wisdom superior to and independent of Paul himself. This produced a boasting which ignored the judgment that was still to come. In their boasting, they were heedless of God's future judgment. Their puffed-up posturing came from putting together their beliefs 
about themselves as Christians with their ideas from pagan philosophy. Not the least kind of popular level Stoicism, which taught that all who truly understand the world and themselves were kings. Sounds like Los Angeles. The Corinthians, somebody's been dating recently. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's how it goes. The Corinthian problem is not just that they're immature in their faith, but that they misunderstood their own level of maturity. So Paul's using the things that they understand and redefining them in light of who Jesus is as Messiah. So let's go back and revisit the scripture that Kev Dog read for us today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 to 31, it says this. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. As Paul moves to correct their understanding, their thinking, the way that they see the world, and he's, again, fighting their own sense of philosophy, their own sense of wisdom, their own sense of self-understanding. As, he, as he's sort of changing their thinking here, he lays out four different ways to look at success in Jesus instead of the ways that they are looking at it. He's going to talk about healthy identity. He's going to talk about healthy outcomes and purposes. He's going to talk about healthy influence and actually recognizing where healthy success comes from. And so for those taking notes today, this brings us to our first observation for the day. Healthy status, healthy status is found in our gospel identity. If we are looking for a healthy status, where do we find our status from? It's found in our gospel identity. Like Los Angeles, Corinth was rich and powerful and influential as a whole, but the, the truth is those that helped make it way that way were not. It had influence as a whole, but the majority of those who were in Corinth were making it that way. It was on their backs. It's very much like Los Angeles. And so despite how they saw themselves philosophically, the church in Corinth was made up mostly of those that we would consider middle class, but also those that we would say are slaves. Now, to be clear, this is indentured servitude, not chattel slavery of U.S. history. Though that kind of slavery was known to exist, that was not the most common in this world. Indentured servitude was usually done by choice or being born for those who didn't have a choice, being born into a family of indentured servants. And so if your parents had said, hey, we can actually make a better living, we can actually have a better life, we can rise above our station by being in this indentured servitude, they will take care of our needs. Uh, you maybe met there, you got married there, you had children, the children were automatically born into indentured servitude. I'm not saying it's good, I'm just saying this is what we're talking about. But this is what we're looking at when it talks like that. So you do have uh, uh, some indentured servitude, some indentured servants who actually have power and prestige and ability to make influence in the city, which is why I'm saying it's very different than chattel slavery. Okay. Um, so the church in Corinth, that's mostly what it's made up of with a smattering of a wealthy, influential elite thrown in. And so in verse 26, Paul's addressing that. He says, look, uh, I, I understand where you're coming from. He says, God doesn't need you, though, 
to be kings of philosophy or wisdom. You can see how it's appealing to be above your station. You can see how it'd be like, oh, this philosophy says we are great, that we are kings, we are royalty if we just understand the world around us and ourselves. That's something that, that makes us feel like, yeah, I want a part of that. And Paul says that's not how you get it in the kingdom of God. Verse 27, instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He's chosen what is insignificant and despised, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that one, no one may boast in his presence. Now, Paul has a specific reason that he's making this argument. Not only have the Corinthians placed all of this value and importance on status and wealth, but many of them have questioned Paul's qualifications because he didn't come to them in that way. Because he came to them in such a different ethos in the city of Corinth, he didn't come with this sense of, like, I'm important and here's all my qualifications. He didn't come touting his resume or successes like others have. People begin to wonder, well, these other guys are touting their success. They seem to have a lot of it. Paul doesn't talk about his. Maybe they're better than him. And so they're even trying to compare different apostles, and they're sort of like uh, trying to tie their names to their coat, ride their coattails. Well, I follow Peter. I follow Apollos. I follow them because then it's like, well, I am more learned and more wise. It goes with their ethos. I have this maybe power of success because I'm following this person. And so Paul is addressing that in particular. Look at chapter 1, verses 10 to 13. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united in the same understanding and the same conviction. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there is rivalry among you. What I'm saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, that's the apostle Peter, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in Paul's name? And so Paul, again, knowing and understanding the value they place in wisdom and status and philosophy, makes little of himself, and he keeps pointing to Jesus. Not me, I'm not what's important, Jesus is important. And he does that so that their faith would not be based on who made the best argument or who is most convincing, but on the truth of their identity in Jesus. Can I just stop for a second and say, this is the age of the celebrity pastor. Yeah. Uh, and this is why it's so devastating when so many celebrity pastors fall. Because we've made much of them. Uh, completely side note here, this isn't in my notes, but this comes up with a lot of young pastors, and so I'll just share with you what I share with them. When I was growing up, um, a lot of pastors were falling. A lot of them were the televangelists of old, Falwell and some of those other guys who everybody thought could do no wrong, and then as they began to fall, it created this devastating trend where it was, they had been put on a false pedestal. Forgetting that, that not only were they human, but they're broken just like everybody else. But because we had placed them on such a high pedestal, an unreasonable and unrighteous pedestal, uh, their falling really uh, damaged many people's faith. And so young pastors like, like me and several others who were in my age group swung the other way and said, there's no difference between us. We're, we're just other people of the congregation, which is great. And then what we found out as we were trying to lead people, they're like, well, then what spiritual authority do you have to speak into my life? He's like, shoot, I didn't think about that. Because God has called us. And the Bible says we are, as pastors, judged more harshly for what we say. What we teach, God is going to judge me on. There's not a moment I don't stand up here where I'm not 
in fear and trembling of what I'm saying before you because I know that it must be accountable to Scripture, accountable to Jesus, and I will account for my words one day. Which is why I appreciate your prayers so much because I need it. And so there's this, there's this living in the tension of the middle that everything we do as pastors should not point to us. It shouldn't make us famous or wealthy. It shouldn't make us the center of attention. Everything should be pointing to who Jesus is. If we are not pointing to Jesus, we are pointing to ourselves. We have missed the point of Scripture. And I'm not picking on those other pastors. I'm trying to be transparent about the accountability I want you to hold me to. Because every pastor wants to be loved. Every pastor wants to be liked. Every pastor wants to be successful. We just need to live in the tension of that balance. Okay, this is what Paul is doing here. Paul is saying, look, don't go on who has the most argument, who has the best teaching style. Don't go on who you think is going to get you farthest. Go, this is about people leading you to Jesus because Jesus is the most important. So if you look like Jesus more at the end of this, that's what you're trying to follow is Jesus. And so Paul says, look, your identity, your success, your, your value, your metrics have to be on your identity. Do you look more like Jesus because of them? And so as apprentices of Jesus, you are now the adopted son and daughter of a living God. You are royalty, the very thing you're hoping for, but not because of philosophy or human wisdom, but your identity in Jesus. For Paul, status wasn't in how many followers or how influential he was. Status was found in the unified body of Christ and seeing them unified and seeing them grown up in the Lord. Paul constantly says, when I think of you, I rejoice because you are my testimony. Paul's success is the spiritual health of the churches that he's planted. And so personal status in Jesus is about spiritual identity, not personal influence. That's the first way that Paul redefines. So the second way that Paul redefines healthy success in Jesus is that healthy success is tied to God's purposes and outcomes. Healthy success is tied to God's purposes and outcomes. In verse 26, Paul urges the Corinthians to consider their calling. What calling is that? Well, it's calling into the faith, but it's more than that. Minimally, it's Ephesians 2, the good works that God prepared ahead of time for us to do towards the accomplishment of the Great Commission. Matthew 28, where Jesus tells us that we are to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, I don't want you to miss this, unity, as Paul brings up in chapter, 10, chapter 1, 10 to 13. So minimally, God's mission, his great commission and unity are the calling of every apprentice of Jesus, individually and collectively. Collectively meaning church. So Paul is calling the Corinthians and us from one set of values to another, from one ethos to a different ethos. And so God's economy is much like the show alone, where success comes from surrendering what is normally desired to get what is ultimately valuable. Success comes from surrendering what is normally desired to get what is ultimately valuable. Look with me back at chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. It says this. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified 
a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. So the outcome of this, the purpose of this is verse 30. That we have wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption in Jesus. That we have wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption in Jesus. That's the purpose. That's the point. That's the outcome. That's God's outcome of his wisdom and his plan. For those taking notes today, this brings us to the third way that Paul redefines healthy success in Jesus. And Paul tells us that healthy success isn't about power or influence, but humility. This goes against everything we've been taught about what success is. See, Paul's approach is different. In order for them to understand where healthy success actually comes from, he presents himself in a way that's consistent with the gospel and not with the qualifications he's absolutely entitled to. This is the same way that Jesus came to us. That Jesus doesn't come as a conquering king, but he comes as the humble, sacrificial, and wounded servant. The suffering servant promised in Isaiah is how Jesus came, born to lowly means. And this is the attitude and actions in which Jesus carries himself. This is the way that Paul is also modeling, which points us to this is what must be for us as well. In chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, Paul says this. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ crucified. He decided. This is a tactic. It's it's an approach. It's purposeful based on who they are. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. It's not that Paul doesn't have the ability to do this. He, he certainly does. But he understands what the Corinthians are facing, and so he meets them where they are at. It's not that he isn't qualified. See, Paul tells us in the church in Philippi, they need his qualifications. And so Paul lists his qualifications here. And actually, one place, it gives us the name of the famous rabbi, Gamma, I can't ever pronounce it, Gamaliel, Gam, whatever, Master G. Master G. <laughs> was famous, and so Paul says, I was a student of his. Here's what he says to the church in Philippi, chapter three, verses four to eight. He says, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has ground for confidence in the flesh, I've got more. Circumcised on the eighth day, that means he followed all the Jewish traditions, of the nation of Israel, he's born to the right place, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, that's a strict keeper of the law, regarding zeal, I even went so far as persecuting the church, regarding righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered a loss because of Christ. More than that, I love this, more than that, I also consider it to be a loss, everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. That's a pretty strong statement. Everything I've accomplished, everything that I'm about, everything that I have the ability to put my degrees and my accomplishments and my, my LinkedIn profile right here for you, I, I think it's worthless 
because I am following and knowing Jesus and what he is doing. And so Paul has every reason to speak to the church in Corinth with authority, with power, not just as one who is directly called by Jesus. Jesus himself called him to be apostle. Not just for those reasons, not for his training, his qualifications, his accomplishments, and even the scars behind his name. He could come to the church with any one of those things, but he doesn't. He models the heart and attitude of the way Jesus came. Verses 27 and 28 shows us that God's ways are so different from ours that the only way to healthy outcomes is his way. That word shame that's used in verse 27 um, Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. It literally means to confound or humiliate. God is saying that he confounds or humiliates the things that we think are always the path to wisdom. He says they, they don't work that way. That all the wisdom of the world is frustrated and confounded and humiliated when God's purpose and will is accomplished. And so all throughout Scripture, we see that God chooses the weak and the insignificant in order to accomplish his great plans. Paul understands that healthy success doesn't come from either his qualifications or his hard work, but only Jesus. And so for those taking notes to this, brings us to our fourth and final redefinition of healthy success in Jesus. And that is that healthy success is inherited in Jesus' success. Healthy success is inherited in Jesus' success. Last week I talked about how the Holy Spirit's main function is to actually glorify Jesus and to help us glorify Jesus as he makes us look more like Jesus him. Paul in verse 31 ties all this together by saying that the only thing that matters is everything points to Jesus and what Jesus has done is doing and will do. Ultimately, Paul reminds us that any success we have is Jesus's anyway and not our own. Look at verses 29 and 30. So that no one may boast in his presence. It's from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. See, because God chose us, we can't even brag that we made the right choice. Remember when N.T. Wright described as their view of themselves in the beginning of this message that the church in Corinth misunderstood their own level of maturity? See, one of the biggest misunderstandings in their own faith is the belief that they arrived at maturity on their own, at their own strength, at their own ability. And Paul shows them, not only is that not correct, it's the proof of their immaturity. See, Paul points us back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy... Because of, the great, because of the great love he had for us, made us alive in Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Jesus. That's success. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's God's gift, God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. We can't brag about knowing Christ because we didn't do anything to earn him or anything he's done for us. So what does this all mean for us at Story City? Family, it means that we have to have a completely different, different vision or version of what healthy success is. It means that we have to do what the Corinthians had to do to evaluate how they were trying to be successful and see where our ideas need to be corrected to be in alignment with God's will and God's way and God's heart for success. See, healthy success in Jesus is realizing our personal status is actually found not in what we've accomplished, but in our gospel identity. It's understanding that all healthy success is measured by how it contributes to our calling, which is engaging in his mission, the Great Commission, and unity. It's about laying down our rights and surrendering what is normally desired to get what is ultimately valuable as we walk in humility and service 
And lastly, family, healthy success is glorifying Jesus and all that we have and all that we are. Let's pray. God, you are faithful. You are good. You are righteous. You are holy. You are the one who lifts up our head and brings success. And Father, sometimes that translates to success in the world around us. And sometimes it does not. But we know that those are not the outcomes that we are looking for. They are byproducts. That success is a healthy relationship with you and with people. Success is moving your mission forward. And Lord, if you allow us to have success in this world, in addition to those things, we thank you for it. But it is not necessary for our faith, we pray. Help us to trust you with all that we are, all that we have. In Jesus' name.